Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more. Give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about our economic liberties. And Andrew Joppa, professor and author of a terrific book, Josephus of Oz. It is May the 11th, and on this day in 1934, a massive storm sent millions of tons of topsoil flying from across the parched Great Plains region of the United States as far east as New York, Boston, and Atlanta. At the time, the Great Plains were settled in the mid-1800s. The land was covered by prairie grass, which held moisture in the earth and kept most of the soil from blowing away even during dry spells. By the early 20th century, however, farmers had plowed under much of the grass to create fields. The U.S. entry into World War I in 1917 caused a great need for wheat, and farmers began to push their fields to the limit, plowing under more and more grass line with a newly invented tractor. The plowing continued after the war, with the introduction of even more powerful gasoline tractors sped up the process. During the 1920s, wheat production increased by 300%, causing a glut in the market by 1931. That year, severe drought spread across the region. As crops died, wind began to carry dust from all over the overplowed and overgrazed lands. The number of dust storms reported jumped from 14 in 1932 to 28 in 1933. The following year, the storms decreased in frequency but increased in intensity, culminating in the most severe storm yet in May of 1934. Over a period of two days, high-level winds caused the carrying of some 350 million tons of silt all the way from the northern Great Plains to eastern seaboard. According to the New York Times, dust lodged itself on eyes and throats of weeping and coughing New Yorkers, and even ships some 300 miles offshore saw dust collected on their decks. The dust storms forced thousands of families from Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Kansas, and New Mexico to uproot and migrate to California, where they derisively known as Okies, no matter what state they came from. These transplanted found out uh, life out west not much easier than what they had left, as work was scarce and pay meager during the worst years of the Great Depression. Another massive storm on April the 15th, 1935, known as Black Sunday, brought even more attention to the desperate situation of the Great Plains region, which reporter Robert Geiger called the Dust Bowl that year as part of the New Deal program. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, his administration, began to enforce federal regulation of farming methods, including crop rotation, grass seeding, and new plowing methods. This worked to a point reducing dust storms by up to 65%, but only the end of the drought in the fall of 1939 would truly bring relief. The Dust Bowl. What an interesting period in our history. Well, Collier commissioners voted yesterday to reject an ordinance requiring landlords to give timely notice before a rent increase, despite passionate pleas from the public. The local ordinance failed by a vote of 3-2. to two. Commissioners Rick LaCastro, Andy Solis, and Bill McDaniel voted against the adoption of the ordinance, while Commissioners Penny Taylor and Bert Sanders voted in favor. After the vote failed, commissioners discussed the potential to reconsider a new version of the ordinance. Affordable housing uh, activist Elizabeth Radel uh, told the Na- Naples Daily News she was disappointed the ordinance failed to pass. I believe the 60-day ordinance would buy time for those individuals that are being displaced to either find places outside the county to relocate or to find a place and be able to utilize the funds that are needed to be used, she said. I'm sad but hopeful the next time it'll pass, she said. Well, I think the commissioners who voted against this are right. It's not going to solve the problem of affordable housing. It would buy a little time for people who are displaced or seeing inordinate increases in rents. And I'm hearing stories, talk to uh, my physical therapist and others who are seeing big increases in that, and they're making adjustments. Young people could do it. It's a little more, more difficult for older folks. But, uh, yeah, it would give an ex- extra time to find a place, but uh, you can do it in 30 days just as easily as you can do it in 60, I'm sure. 
It's not a solution to affordable housing here in Collier County. President Joe Biden blamed Russian President Vladimir Putin on Monday for the latest spike in gas prices, suggesting the foreign leader had enacted a gas tax on America by invading Ukraine. Biden spoke about how in 2021, the used car market was artificially high because of a shortage of available computer chips. This year, we have a similar problem, but it's because of energy, because of Putin's gas tax, he said, describing the tax as the tax of him causing such a disruption in the oil markets around the world. The AAA national average for gas is now at $4.57, breaking the previous record set early in March. The president spoke about high gas prices during a political fundraiser on Monday. Biden complained that inflation was an incredibly difficult problem, but he did not offer any specific solutions to address high gas prices. He proposed more government spending on research and development, indicating it would help reduce inflation. Generic point is, do we have to invest in ourselves, invest in our people, so we can, in fact, continue to lead the world on the things that we are so do so well, well as many as incre- incredible opportunities for not only us but for the rest of the world? He concluded. Hey, here's an idea, uh, Joe. Why not open up and drill? Why don't it bring us back to uh, energy independence, which you've destroyed as a result of this Green New Deal effort on your part? It's costing us all. It is actually your taxes, not Putin's tax. You're the one who I think is creating the circumstances to increase costs here in the United States. And it affects everything. It affects food shortages and all uh, a number of things. It all starts with energy, doesn't it? Absolutely. The House emphatically approved a fresh $40 billion Ukraine aid package yesterday as lawmakers beefed up President Joe Biden's initial request, signaling a magnified bipartisan commitment to thwart Russian President Vladimir Putin's bloody three-month-old invasion. The measure sailed to passage by a lopsided 368-57 to 57 margin, providing $7 billion more than Biden's request from April and dividing the increased evenly between defense and humanitarian programs. The bill will give Ukraine military and economic assistance, help regional allies replenish weapons the Pentagon has shipped overseas, and provide $5 billion in a, in, to address global food shortages caused by the war, war's crippling of Ukraine's normally robust production of crops. What if it's going to do anything for baby uh, formula? <laughs> Probably not, certainly not addressing the issue of uh, the, the border, our border, more concerned about Ukraine's border than the United States border. And how about uh, formula for babies? Not addressed. $40 billion for Ukraine. Unbelievable. The measure was backed by every voting Democrat, nearly three out of four Republicans. House debate reflected a perspective shared broadly by both parties. The U.S. has even more at stake by standing than standing by Ukraine. The new legislation would bring American support for the effort to nearly $54 billion, including the $13.6 billion in support Congress enacted in March. That's about $6 billion more than the U.S. spent in all of its foreign and military aid in 2019, according to a January report. It's also around 1% of the entire federal budget. Unbelievable. The measure was released as, we don't have the money. We just don't have it. Uh, You can't. You can't send to Ukraine what we don't have. We're borrowing it in order to do that. The measure was released as Washington has become increasingly assertive about its goals and its willingness to help Ukraine with sophisticated weapons. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, said recently the U.S. wants a weakened Russia that can't quickly restore its capability to attack other countries. Russian attacks on Ukraine's southern border of Odessa have intensified in what seems as an attempt to hamper deliveries of Western arms. Those weapons have helped Ukraine hold its own surprisingly uh, well against its more lethal foe, but the grinding war is taking its toll. Senate approval of uh, Ukrainian aid seems certain, and members of both parties have echoed the need for a quick action. As Putin desperately accelerates his campaign of horror and brutality in Ukraine, Time is of the essence, said House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, but it's unclear when Senate would act and changes there were were possible when Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell insisting that the measure be narrowly focused on the war. The new measure includes $6 billion to arms and train Ukrainian forces, $8.7 billion to restore American stores of weapons shipped to Ukraine, and $3.9 billion for U.S. forces deployed 
in the area. There's also $8.8 billion in economic support for Ukraine, $4 billion to help Ukraine and allies finance arms and equipment purchases, and $900 million for housing, education, and other help for Ukrainian refugees in the United States. To enhance the measure's chance of Congress, the House bill dropped Biden's proposal to ease the pathway to legal permanent residency for qualified Afghans who fled to the United States after last summer's withdrawal. Some Republicans have expressed concerns about the adequacy of security screenings for these applicants. In their biggest concession, Biden and Democrats abandoned Monday it's in, to include additional billions of dollars to build up the U.S. supplies of medicines, vaccines, and tests for COVID-19. Talk about living in the past. Republicans' support for more pandemic spending is waning, and including the money would have been slowed the Ukraine uh, measure in the 50-50 Senate, where at least 10 GOP votes will be needed for passage. So interesting. $40 billion, billion dollars, uh, to support Ukraine, and we have such needs here in the United States. A political group uh, funded exclusively by liberal financier uh, George Soros has dumped over $100,000 in support of a former public defender running to become a prosecuting attorney in Little Rock, Arkansas. Soros is the only contributor to the Arkansas Justice and Public Safety Pact, which was founded in mid-April around the same time the financier donated $321,000 to the group. The PAC has since spent about $100,000 on research, polling, and consulting work, in late April, the group purchased $40,000 worth of television advertisements in support of Alicia Walton's bid to serve as prosecuting attorney in Pulaski and Perry counties, this according to the uh, Arkansas Times. President Joe Biden finds himself beset by frustration on all sides of the energy policy debate. He's juggling competing priorities to help relieve record fuel prices and make good on his long-term green energy deals. Demand for lower fuel prices at home and Europe have forced Biden's hand to support more gas and production. So uh, this this money going to uh, uh, from Soros to fund the activities, much like Gascon, basically he recruits people and supports people who uh, don't enforce the law and don't aren't uh, giving appropriate punishment. Uh, Dave uh, Chappelle said, hey, where, why, are the, why is this guy that attacked me, why is he getting off so easily? Great question. Well, hopefully Gascon is going to get uh, recalled. They currently have uh, over 600,000 signatures uh, to get him recalled. And hopefully people are going to wake up and not support this person here in Little Rock, Arkansas either. Sad, sad to see that this could be happening. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy. He is the chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob's an author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization. It's called the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure being with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and and dedicated to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, we've been continuing our conversation about economic liberties, and I want to pick up with uh, uh, Alito's draft opinion in the Mississippi abortion case, declared that abortion is not a fundamental right. What does it mean to say that a right is not or is fundamental? Well, to qualify as fundamental, the right has to be, uh, and these are quotes from prior decisions of the court, implicit in the concept of ordered liberty or deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. So how the right is defined, whether it's narrowly or broadly, uh, makes all the difference and, in effect, can dictate the outcome of the case. So Alito uh, defines the right narrowly, that is, the right to abortion. But if you take a separate case, Raish v. Gonzalez, you had a sick person claiming a fundamental right to use medical marijuana. And uh, it was legal in California where she lived, and she had a doctor's order. And the Court of Appeals, like Alito, characterized the right narrowly, and that is the use of marijuana for medical purposes. So Mrs. Raish, who brought this case, lost because medical marijuana, said the court, uh, is not required for ordered liberty, nor is it deeply rooted in our nation's history. So if the court had adopted had adopted Raish's characterization, the broader characterization of the right, and that was the liberty to pursue a less painful life, then she might have won that case. But like Alito, the court in that case defined the right narrowly. Hmm, Interesting. Can you give us an example of a case where it went the other way? Yeah. um, For an interesting contrast, there was a case of Lawrence versus Texas, the Supreme Court overturned a state regulation that criminalized consensual homosexual sodomy. Uh, Texas lost that case because the court characterized the right very broadly. They said it was barring a relationship within the liberty of persons to choose without being punished as criminals. So if the court had said, in the narrow sense, that the case was about gay sex, then the right would not have been deemed fundamental. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's interesting to ask which characterization is correct, broad or narrow. And in a sense, they're both correct. Uh, Raish, in the previous case, was trying to live with less pain. She's also using medical marijuana. 
Lawrence is pursuing a, a personal, private, consensual relationship. He's also engaged in homosexual uh, sodomy. So a court can rule how it wishes based simply on its description of the right. And that, I think, is the foolishness of bifurcating our rights into these two categories, fundamental and non-fundamental. Uh, in our view at Cato, all rights, and that means enumerated and unenumerated, fundamental and non-fundamental, have to be rigorously protected by the courts. And that's especially true for these economic liberty rights that we've been discussing, where uh, the regulations really are designed to protect politically connected persons from competition. And those regulations are routinely rubber stamped uh, by the courts. And that's, I think, a travesty. Oh, thank you, Bob, for that. That's just such an important concept in our economic liberties, as you pointed out, are subordinate to the fundamental liberties that we've been discussing and shouldn't be. Now, I know the, Insti right. I know the Institute for Justice specializes in economic liberty cases, and you're on the Institute's board. Can you tell us about a recent case of, of interest? Yeah, uh, Flynn versus Holder is kind of interesting. It was a challenge to the National Organ Transplant Act. So, you know, every year about 3,000 Americans died because they couldn't find a matching bone marrow donor, and the minorities were hit especially hard. So common sense suggests that if you offer modest incentives to attract more bone marrow donors, that would be worth pursuing. But federal law made it a felony, punishable by up to five years in prison to accept money for bone marrow. Hmm. Uh, the National Organ Transplant Act treats this compensation as though it were black market organ sales, uh, giving a college student a scholarship for donating marrow, uh, bone marrow uh, could land everybody in, in jail. Wow. Nurses, doctors, donors, and patients, hmm. all of them go to federal prison under this ridiculous act. So how did the course, uh, court case turn out? Well, the Institute for Justice argued that the act, uh, the criminal ban violated equal protection because it arbitrarily treats bone marrow like solid organs like kidneys or lungs, which makes no sense because bone marrow, unlike uh, solid organs, replenishes itself in just a few weeks after it's donated. Mm -hmm. So the, the closest comparison is blood, which is also self-replenishing. Uh, uh, compensation for blood donations is okay. That's legal. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in our favor and held that this Organ Transplant Act and the ban on donor compensation uh, does not apply to the most common methods for donating bone marrow. And the victory became final and a new tool in the fight against this, uh, this deadly disease um, when uh, then-Attorney General Holder decided not to appeal to the Supreme Court. Uh, aftermath, 2013, uh, after our victory, uh, the Health and Human Services Department tried with a new rule to circumvent the court victory. Uh, but the Institute for Justice fought back, and uh, the new rule was ultimately withdrawn just a couple of years ago. So we're in good shape now with respect to bone marrow donations. Well, it really raises the question about whose side are they on anyhow? <laughs> that's yeah, a, it's, you do wonder that, that's it, for sure. Really strange. So uh, how about another Institute for Justice case that received a good deal of press coverage, uh, the case about the Benedictine monks who wanted to sell caskets? Yeah, this was St. Joseph Abbey versus Castile, <clears throat> and it challenged Louisiana's casket cartel. Uh, the case arose when the, the brothers of the St. Joseph Abbey, uh, a Benedictine mo monastery in, in Louisiana, began to sell their uh, wooden caskets to support their educational and health care services. Uh, the state board moved to shut down this uh, fledgling business before they sold even one casket because it was a crime in Louisiana for anybody except a government-licensed funeral director to sell <laughs> caskets uh, to the public. So the monks and the Institute uh, brought suit in federal court 
on the ground that this arbitrary restriction served <clears throat> no legitimate public purpose, existed only to funnel money to the uh, funeral director's cartel. And we won in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in a landmark uh, unanimous decision. The court said, and this is an interesting quote, the great deference due to state economic regulation does not require courts to accept nonsensical explanations for regulation. So that ruling is one of only a handful of federal appellate decisions since the New Deal that do protect economic liberty, which basically is the right to earn an honest living without government licensing rules creating barriers to entry and suppressing competition. The Supreme Court, by the way, rejected Louisiana's petition for review, so the Fifth Circuit's holding in that case uh, can now be used to challenge other irrational licensing schemes across the country that don't do anything more than protect uh, these industry insiders with political clout. Uh, boy, the Institute for Justice is doing some great work. What, what's their website, Bob, in case our listeners want to check it out? IJ.org. 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 Doing some great work in terms of protecting our economic liberties and other liberties as well. Indeed. Again, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. Coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, Medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com, or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, the website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa. Andy is a professor. He's also the author of a terrific read, not on today's topic, but really interesting. Josephus of Oz is the name of the book. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So typically we categorize ourselves or characterize ourselves as me being the optimist, you being the pessimist, so we've agreed to have, start each show with some good news. <laughs> Do you have some good news for us, Andy? Bob, let me just adjust my volume at my end, if I might, because I'm not hearing you very well. <laughs> nope, my volume is good, um, but so I'm not hearing you very well, Bob. You talked about optimism and pessimism, I believe. Yes. 
Um, we just read Chesterton, and apparently uh, Chesterton's view of optimism and pessimism is you must be both. You, you know, there must be a healthy optimism and a healthy pessimism. So uh, <clears throat> I think that you and I, you being the, uh, the optimist and I the pessimist, theoretically at least, I, I think collectively we are a perfect human being, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That's the yin and yang, we could say. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know whether you're the yang or not, but I, I will assign you that role, the yang. Uh, okay, I'm the yang. <clears throat> so what, what's the good news? Uh, good news is mixed good news today. Uh, Jen Psaki is leaving the White House. Uh, that in itself is good news to get that grating uh, distortion that she is presented with almost on a daily basis. <clears throat> I think is good news. Uh, the bad news is the downside, let's call it the downside, is she's going to be replaced by Corinne Jean-Pierre uh, as press secretary. Now, uh, Jean-Pierre is a... Uh, a racial obsessive that, she, that can be documented time and time again uh, through her her career. Uh, so what you know, she's being uh, touted uh, again on meaningless characteristic as the first uh, black press secretary, the first uh, LGBTQ uh, secretary. <clears throat> Excuse my voice is really bad this morning, Bob. Um, but again, this is a woman that. Uh, is an obsessive as it pertains to uh, to race and uh, I'm going to call it anti-white racial rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me that Biden goes out of his way, uh, obviously goes out of his way, uh, to pick people as members of his administration uh, that will grate on uh, any fair-minded person, any conservative, certainly. Uh, and Corrine Jean-Pierre will certainly uh, be in that category. So, again, a good news and, and bad news type of story. Another good news story is Trump uh, supported Mooney in uh, the 2nd District of West Virginia. And, again, another uh, Trump endorsee won. Uh, there was a downside to the story when uh, Herbster, a uh, supported candidate of Trump's, was defeated in Nebraska in the gubernatorial primary. Now, the, Trump's record is like 99% uh, accurate in terms, well, not accurate, but uh, meaningful in terms of supporting uh, winning candidates. And, of course, the media will only tell you about from this point on that Trump is weakening because Herbster lost in, <laughs> in Nebraska. Yeah, no, so he's, he's now 58-1 and one in terms of the candidates that he's supported uh, which is just pretty remarkable, actually, and uh, some of them real long shots, too. So that's a good thing, because what we need is we need to get rid of this one-party system of rhinos and Democrats. Uh, we need people who want to make America great again, in my opinion. So Well, I, I agree with that uh, philosophically. On the other hand, when, once we get into... Uh, Washington, you, uh, we we know it's a numbers game. You know, you, the the majority party in the House and the majority party uh, in the in the Senate matters enormously. Yeah. Uh, perhaps uh, in spite of the philosophies held by the individual members, I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I I totally disagree with uh, agree with what you said. Uh, on the other hand, we both can recognize that that numbers uh, means a heck of a lot when, when it comes to the, the congressional process. In now, that's that's such an important point. So, Andy, I want to move to uh, the topic of abortion. Now, we have this uh, this uh, leaked uh, opinion that uh, was a, a draft opinion by Alito, and I uh, just want to get, you, get your update and thoughts about what's going on. Well, the most recent thing I've heard dealing with that leak is that there's a strong potential that the leaker has been identified. Uh, it's a clerk for Breyer. Uh, woman's name is Elizabeth Deutsch. Um, she has a typical uh, clerk background, uh, uh, pri you know, uh, high primacy school graduate, uh, Yale, I believe. Uh, her whole career has been uh, dotted with consistent uh, uh, comments and writings, uh, including a New York Times op-ed, uh, supporting the uh, the pro-choice position. So she seems to be very deeply committed to that. I'm not going to describe her as a fanatic, but I think that word would apply. Now, again, there's no smoking gun when it, a gun when it comes to Deutsch, but it does seem that of all the people that have been analyzed, uh, surveyed in terms of who might possibly be a leaker, Elizabeth Deutsch is probably the, uh, the, the most likely uh, candidate by far, Bob. That's such an interesting. I did not. I was not aware of that. It does raise the question about whether there's going to be any punishment at all for, uh, for her task or for for her uh, crime. Actually, 
Well, I think there's two comments. First, should there be yes? Will there be no? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be another one of these situations where uh, the law will will not be applied. And I think there's there's obviously laws that can be applied in this circumstance. Same thing with the picketers in front of uh, the protesters in front of the Supreme Court justices' homes. Uh, there are federal laws, uh, very clearly written, that prohibit that kind of pressured process uh, when it applies to judges, especially, and yet there'll be no chance that the law will be applied to uh, to stop or punish any of the people doing that action, Bob. Yeah. So this uh, this issue of uh, abortion is it going to get is it going to get traction? I don't think this is going to really. Uh, I think it's the whole effort is in order to distract away from inflation and the other things that are going on here in the nation that, that are crippling our country right now. I think it's. I, I think that's that's an unfortunate reality. I know the Supreme Court uh, was ruling on a specific case. I don't know if they had to take up that case. It's their choice. <clears throat> so uh, the timing, I think, is bad. Uh, what we're looking at is exactly as you described. It's something that will serve as a distraction, a serious distraction from the serious issues. And I'm not trying to diminish important abortion as an as an important issue, but certainly it is not in the category of inflation or the potential of nuclear war with 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 Russia. So I think you're you're absolutely right. Uh, if we look at the uh, some of the things that are being brought into this discussion, which are um, outlier positions of Republicans, what, what I mean is these are issues that have been l limited in their expression by some Republican politicians. For example, interstate travel might be banned. Now, that is not a primary position, nor is it one that is uh, is is going to, I hope, not dominate the Republican uh, positioning. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, if that was to become public discussion, it is inappropriate that anyone be banned from moving from one state to another state for any reason, yeah. for any reason. So uh, that is a problem. But we also have Mitch McConnell, who said recently uh, that a, if Roeway is overturned, that a nationwide abortion ban is possible. Again, that's going to throw a lot of gasoline on the fire. Uh, that and the, the statements where uh, many states are apparently are moving or have on their current uh, law books uh, prohibition of abortion in any circumstance, including incest and rape. So as you pointed out, we have this issue that is going to uh, distract us from more important things, and now there's gasoline being thrown in that fire by overstating Republican positions, and then Mitch McConnell, of course, once again, as in my opinion, putting his foot in, in his mouth. Bob. Yeah, what's he doing that for? That that's, uh, makes no sense whatsoever. So uh, do you want to move to Ukraine? Well, I have a few more comments about, about abortion at it's a derivative of the uh, the blog I recently published, and the issue basically is the the role of <clears throat> of personal responsibility as it pertains to the abortion issue. Yeah. Uh, the way it's being described is uh, women have no control over their choices; uh, they must have coital contact, and uh, no matter what the problems may that may result from from that coital contact in terms of intrusion on their life, they they must go forward and, and be involved with this. Uh, now, look, I, I, I know there are uh, accidental pregnancies that were not intended, where contraceptives were used. I, I know those things. But in general, uh, any woman that gets pregnant uh, is, in fact, rolling the dice that she will get pregnant, uh, and that, that effectively should be brought into the discussion. What is the role of women's choice in these discussions, Bob? Yeah, well, in fact, uh, I found that column so interesting. I've posted it now on my website. I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to Correct Me If I'm Wrong. It's a pull-down tab on my website. You can read Andy's latest column. I, f I found it really on point and very, very interesting in terms of taking personal responsibility. Well, again, that's a topic we could probably spread across the entire American culture. Uh, very seldom do we hear about the role of, of personal responsibility when it, when it comes to these things. If someone robs a store, it's because of a, a an unfair and harsh society. So uh, this is a consistent type of approach where uh, no one is ever directly responsible for their own actions. Uh, in fact, they're always caused, not in fact, but it's suggested, in fact, uh, that these actions are caused by uh, by the government, by Republicans, by white supremacists, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, some, at some point, 
uh, we all have to be responsible for our own actions, regardless of what might have provoked them at a, at a given moment in the past. No question. Andy, you want to take a little break right here? Can you stick around? I will be here. Buddy. All right, we're going to have more. Uh, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So let's, let's move to uh, Ukraine and your thoughts on what's going on. Well, I think it's well known as to what's, well, that's so foolish what I just said. It is not well known what's going on right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is really hoarse this morning. Um, I think we have to accept the fact that there is always a distortion of information coming out of any war zone. Uh, I'm not suggesting that some of the accusations against Russia have not been uh, valid. Uh, on the other hand, we, can we could have anticipated those kind of negatives because they always come out of, of a war zone. There's, there's been rape, slaughter of civilians, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so, again, these are, these are stories that, that have legs. Uh, but on the other hand, Bob, I, I think we're, we always have to take these to a certain extent with a grain of salt, uh, because, again, these are the, the, the typical things that, that come out of a, of a war zone. So we're, we're hearing those. Um, I was thinking it brought back a memory of a book I had read by Victor Davis Hanson many years ago where he talked about the uh, importance of technology in wars throughout history, that the nation with the nations going back even thousands of years with what we can call the best economy and the most successful um, social systems would be able to produce the best weapons and they would win because of that technology. If we consider the thought, are we, as the United States, at war with Russia, and we say is that the nation that is using technology, and we are in fact the supplying agent of that technology, regardless of who pushes the button or pulls the trigger, the nation that is supplying that technology is the, uh, is the, uh, the nation that is at war. 
And I think that a strong case can be made that we are at war with Russia right now. I know the, the, case is, the case has been made, but indirectly, I think I'm making a statement that's far more direct about that. Mm-hmm. Recently, the Russian foreign minister uh, discussing the potential of nuclear weapons uh, did not, was not willing to take it off, off the table. So um, we're looking at a, and these comments uh, seem to be so redundant, but uh, with the seriousness of the implications, I think they are worth repeating. If we keep pushing this thing to its, uh, what I believe is its logical conclusion, if anyone believes that Russia is going to go quietly away uh-huh. uh, and just uh, put their uh, head between their tail, uh, something like that, I messed it up, that was a Joe Biden moment for me, uh, and re- retreat to Russia, um, I don't think that'll happen. I think they will invoke much more dramatic military weaponry, if not nuclear conventional uh, fuel level fuel level weapons uh, in Ukraine. So I think we're, again, in a very dangerous situation in, in Ukraine, Bob. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, if, if Putin has nowhere to go, if he's really backed into a corner and has nowhere to go, I'm, I'm fearful that uh, sooner that uh, we could see some sort of a nuclear holocaust. So, uh, well... Just we all we can do is hope because right now it's out of our hands. Unfortunately, we continue to feed the fire though by sending weapons, and I'm not I'm not totally in agreement. Uh, I, I'm not terribly terribly knowledge about the the uh, the strategies in war and so forth. But I must say that it, uh, it, it just makes me wonder why we're sending forty billion dollars over to Ukraine when we've got problems with our border, we've got problems with our own indebtedness. Uh, we are in a we're in, in a very and not a very good place right now. Yeah, I I certainly agree with that. Let me make my own strong personal statement. I believe if we had never supplied any weaponry, or the West has never supplied any weaponry to Ukraine, uh, this uh, conflict would have ended. The result would have been a replacement of the Zelensky government, and there would have been no noticeable impact whatsoever on the Ukraine people. Now, again, I have no way of documenting that, uh, but I think I I could make a strong case that what I just said is true, that it has been our supplying of weapons, first defensive, now offensive weaponry, uh, that has prolonged this conflict. And if it persists, um, I I think the end end result is is so unpredictable. And by the way, nuclear weapons, uh, even field level, I don't think that will be invoked by, by Russia. We don't know, but I don't think so. But if we're talking about if Russia accepts what I said before, that we are, in fact, at war with Russia, then that would open up all kinds of other potentials, cyber warfare, uh, EMPs, and a lot of other things. Uh, Russia is now being attacked on their home soil, not to a large extent, but certainly it's happening. Uh, So, again, this is... Yeah, I'm going to say there's been a remarkable restraint being shown uh, by Russia, by Putin, uh, because the, the provocations are such uh, that almost anything he does at this point can be justified by United States actions uh, that have taken place. Yeah, I think that that is well said. Uh, changing the topic slightly, but uh, in, in your notes to me, you referenced a, a, a big increase in female suicide, something for which I was not aware. Maybe you could tell us about it. This was highlighted by, in the last um, month, uh, three female athletes in colleges committed suicide. They were all uh, in their prime of their physical being. They, they showed no uh, noticeable uh, depression or uh, tendency in that direction, yet three uh, female athletes committed suicide. So I, I did a little research, and it, the, the numbers are rather startling, Bob. Uh, since 2020, suicide attempts in, in girls, in women, uh, have increased by 51%, while the male increase since 2020 has only been 4%. Now, mm. those are percentages. They don't deal with real numbers. On the other hand, they do represent a startling movement uh, in terms of female suicide. If we look at uh, specifically where they occur... <clears throat> If we look at the military particularly, where there's a lot of information coming forward, uh, there's been a 62% increase in the suicide rate for women veterans, 62% since 2020. This is a a dramatic number. That number is 12 times the rate of non-veteran, non-women veterans. Uh, This is an amazing number, 62%. uh, And that is twice the rate of increase for male service members. Uh, So when we're looking at this, I think... We have to start asking, uh, and this is not a negative about women at all, Bob, 
but I would ask the question, are we putting them in situations where they're uh, emotions are not designed to deal with the tensions, the conflict, the pressure, the harassments, any of these things. Now, even if it's taking place, harassment, for example, uh, typically a person of sound emotional well-being will not commit suicide. And yet when we look at the numbers, the numbers are enormous. And the numbers are probably, Bob, even bigger than the ones we know. Uh, women, when they're attempting suicide, uh, tend to use a methodology that are not necessarily fatal, uh, taking uh, pills in excess uh, being one of them. Males tend to commit suicide with something, uh, with, which is something that is far more definitive, use the use of, of guns, for example. Uh -huh. So we're looking at a, a, a dramatic increase in the, in the level of suicide, uh, primarily displayed in the military. And, and I think at some point we, we have to stop, and this is not to disparage women, but if we're looking at, at some of the statistics, we have to, to investigate why, in fact, these numbers are accelerating uh, so dramatically. And perhaps these are only the, the, the tip of an iceberg. If we're getting these kind of suicide rates indicating uh, mental issues, uh, psychological issues, uh, probably for every uh, suicide, there are a thousand women who are tempted in the same direction. Yeah, that's so interesting. It raises another different question in my mind, and that is, in fact, are these uh, suicides really suicides, or is there another cause of death? I'm sorry, I missed that, Bob. No, I'm, I'm asking, uh, is there, was there perhaps another cause of death, death besides suicide? Are they being mislabeled? Um, I think it's probably more so in the, I'm not sure if this is what you're saying, but there, there are probably many more suicide or suicide attempts that are labeled in, in other ways. And so if that's what you're saying, yes, yeah. I, I totally agree. So uh, again, the point is the, uh, the numbers are probably far more significant uh, than even we're pointing out. We know it's been measured many times over that women are, have far more psychological problems and appeal to help for those psychological problems far more so than, than males. So again, once more, just to, because I think it's an important point, this is not to disparage women, but when they're being put in situations that are untenable for their design as a, as a human being, I, I think we're putting them at risk and we're damaging them in a serious way, Bob. Uh, that's such an interesting observation. You know, I, I want to uh, move to uh, a different topic. Yeah. One, had, did you hear that Joe Biden has now said that uh, uh, mega, he calls them mega, <laughs> uh, Republicans are, 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 are extremists, are a threat to our society? To me, it's just is so ironic because the top policies that he's put in place are a threat to our society, quite frankly. And the only answer, quite in my opinion, is to making America great again. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm for an open debate about how we go about doing that with anybody. But unless they really want to make America great again, which we, we're slipping away from that, uh, yeah, he, he's, the, he's the real extremist. Well, you're absolutely right in this uh Make America Great Again is, is again, is not rocket science. You know, we know what it takes to uh, to make a nation strong. It, uh, it, uh, the starting point is to remove government's in, involvement. Most of the, the good moves that uh, President Trump made was to re remove government controls, particularly in the area of regulation. Uh, so obviously you're right when you talk about the, the major threat to this nation. It certainly is coming from the left. Uh, it's coming from uh, from Biden. I, I think we, we can see how the deep state operates. Uh, recently, uh, Mark Esper, a uh, former defense secretary, published a book, uh, a slithering snake of a man, Bob, uh, making the rounds on media shows. Uh, Fox gave him a half hour. Uh, he supported uh, Biden and Pelosi on Ukraine, supported Trump's impeachment, uh, said the threat was a, a uh, Trump was a threat to American democracy, said Trump wanted to invade Venezuela and use missiles into Mexico to uh, thwart the drug cartels. Uh, this is the type of person that populates the deep state, the yeah. bureaucracies, particularly in the executive branch, the executive branch, including the State Department. Uh, so when we look at Esper, we have to understand that uh, in spite of the espers that existed in the federal government, Trump was able to get enormous things done, enormous accomplishments, Bob. Uh, as far as Biden, uh, the dupe that he is, 
Uh, it's, I have no idea whether he understands anything he's advocating, uh, but certainly people who put those words uh, in his teleprompter certainly do, and I can't believe they're not dedicated to the damaging or destruction of America, Bob. Uh, so well said, indeed. And you, you're aware that uh, right now Fox News has uh, prohibited, as has Newsmax, by the way, prohibited any mention at mention of the movie 2,000 Mules, the Denise D'Souza documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, Andy, but it's unbelievable. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it. I am going to. I've read extensively on it. It, uh, it sounds like uh, D'Souza went out of his way to make sure that any of the uh, anomalies that might be there were, were covered in yep. terms of explanation, uh, his, uh, the depth of his analysis with, the, uh, with, with tracking devices uh, certainly leaves uh, very little doubt in any fair-minded person uh, that there was uh, ballot box stuffing. Uh, so why that would be prohibited when it's being documented, uh, extensively documented, with the videos that, uh, and the compilation of statistics that D'Souza used, uh, absolutely outrageous. Now, uh, Newsmax and Fox to ban that, uh, what is the purpose of that? Uh, certainly we have uh, the, the Democrats suggesting that uh, the election uh, in Georgia was stolen from Stacey Abrams, so they don't... Re uh, they don't uh, stop every complaint about a possible uh, rigged election just when the, the rigged election is being done against Republicans. Bob. No, that is so true. And, uh, and it, it, the, the bottom line is that the, the election was stolen, and this is clear evidence, for example. It doesn't even bring up, in, in the movie, it doesn't even bring up the uh, Dominion machines and the other things that have gone on that have uh, affected the election. It just talks about the stuffing the ballot boxes and the mules that did that. Over 380,000 ballots, if you can imagine that, have been identified just with this very conservative way of identifying uh, the mules, number one, and number two, the ballot boxes that were stuffed. And just to, just to point out, one of the, uh, the focused on characters, he, he stuffed ballot boxes in three Georgia counties. Uh, he went to these boxes six times each uh, over a period of time. Um, so this is not just somebody bringing in his, his family ballots or right. ballots of friends. This is a person that was obviously directed to do this. Uh, they were taking pictures of themselves to obviously, in my estimation, obviously, uh, show these pictures to whoever is paying them. So this was not just some citizenry doing uh, a wrong thing. This was a supported and financed process uh, of ballot box stuffing. And the Sousa approved that in a court of law beyond any reasonable doubt. Bob. Absolutely. So I would encourage our listeners, 2000mules.com, go to the website, sign up, watch the movie. I understand that it generated over a million dollars of revenue at $10 a ticket in less than 11 hours. So uh, it's, it's gaining popularity and traction. Everybody should see that movie. Absolutely. I think that the, I, I don't know if it'll do any good, by the way, but uh, at some point, uh, something has to do some good. I mean, I, it, it's amazing the weight of information that exists about the 2020 elections, uh, and yet there is absolutely not only no acceptance of the challenge, but the, the allowance of the challenge, as you just pointed out, which is one of the most, I think, outrageous things uh, in the history of American free speech, Bob. I must say I'm, I'm disappointed at how slowly things have moved, but, you know, the wheels of justice are still grinding all slowly, but the fact that there are more and more reveals about the crimes that were committed uh, in the November 3rd election, 2020. And I, I think that sooner or later it's going to get to a court of law. I'm hopeful in any event. Bob, I will tell you, you've been using that phrase, the, the wheels of justice grind slowly for the past six years. With <laughs> yeah. me, and they're still grinding slowly. So maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe we certainly... You're right. But we'll, yeah, let, let's hope they, they reach a conclusion, Bob. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. I hope you'll take a look at the book. It's a terrific read, Josephus of Oz. Andy, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk soon, Bob. All right, thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow, including Michael Cannon, who's the uh, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. He'll be joining us, as well as the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. And Keith Flaw, he is the co-founder 
of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, also, if you enjoy the, the, uh, the show, I hope you'll tell your friends that it will help uh, get the word out to our, about our advertisers, and uh, that would be much appreciated as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>